0: We're drinking male tears, we're bathing in their fears As we battle online trolls, we challenge gender roles Welcome to the Misandry Hour Together we will rise and we won't apologise We are the next big thing in boner killing Welcome to the Misandry, welcome to the Misandry Welcome to the Misandry Hour
1: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to the Miss Andrea Hour with me, your host, Clementine Ford. This episode will be bringing you a recording of Tina Talks 3, Funny Talk, Arming Up for the Feminist Battleground, which was a panel presented by YWCA Victoria and took place at the State Library in Melbourne on April 6th to coincide with the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I moderated this panel for the YWCA and was joined by guests Kate McLennan from The Catering Show. Jordan Raskopoulos from Axis of Awesome, and Rebecca Shaw, who writes for SBS Comedy. Before we get into this panel, listeners should just be advised that there is a broad content warning for discussion of sexual assault, eating disorders, and also mental health.
0: Welcome to the Misandry Hour.
1: thank you all so much for being here. Thank you very much to the YWCA for hosting. I'd also like to acknowledge that we are meeting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and um, we did ask Nakia Louie to be here tonight actually who is one of the very funny writers of black comedy and performers in that but unfortunately she was unavailable so maybe we can get her for another Tina talk another time. We are here to talk about comedy and women, so it'll be a very serious topic tonight. Um, Please join me in welcoming our panel members. To my immediate left, we have Kate McLennan. Kate is an award-winning actress, comedian, speaker and writer. Her list of achievements, frankly, is too long to list right now, but we will mention that you've definitely seen her at a Fringe Festival or on Offspring, The Project Stingers slideshow and a number of sketch shows cut down in their prime. (laughs) However, she's been seen by most of you, I suspect, espousing the benefits of quitting sugar or reviewing the miraculous Thermomix and hot wet rice (laughs) with her fellow co-writer and actress Kate McCartney on the catering show that is Catering with a K. Uh, And season two starts next week on Ivy, so please give Kate a big round of applause. (laughs) In the middle, there is Jordan Rescopolis. Jordan got her start as one of the creators of Australian Network 10's sketch comedy program at the Ronnie John's Good Times Campfire Jamboree Half Hour Show, now on television, or the Ronnie John's Half Hour. The show was nominated for two Logie Awards, including Most Outstanding Comedy Series, and was a cult comedy hit in Australia and internationally. Jordan's probably best known as the front woman of comedy rock legends The Axis of Awesome, and for the flurry of support she received recently for coming out as a transgender woman. You might have seen the video titled, What's Happened to Jordan's Beard, which quickly became a social media phenomenon dealing with trans issues in a way that perhaps the general public hasn't seen before. So please give Jordan a big round of applause. And last but not least, one of my very favourite people in the whole world, Rebecca Shaw. Rebecca is a Sydney-based writer and co-host of the fantastic podcast "Bring a Plate," which skewers 90's culture. She's a fantastically acerbic and witty cultural commentator, with work appearing in The Guardian," SBS, "Junkie" and lots more. Her satirical Twitter account, "Women Against Feminism," confuses and amuses over 150,000 followers. Please give Beck a big round of applause.) <laughs> Just very, very quickly before we start, does anyone have a Samsung phone charger on them at all? At all? If you do, just... just oh, thank you. Bless you. Oh, it's got a battery pack. Brilliant.
2: Were you an audience plant before? <laughs> How is that possible?
1: Sorry, I'm just I'm an incredibly disorganised person when it comes to technology and I realise that my timepiece is dead. So, women and comedy... It is the question that is always asked every year at every comedy festival, is can women be funny? I mean, I say not, but... (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll start with something a little bit... uh, ..a little bit more interesting than that. And I just want to ask everyone, uh, do you think that is humour a more effective form of resistance than anger? Or can it be a more effective form of resistance than anger?
3: I think that you can disarm people with laughter and then hopefully get in there with a, a more of a message you might <laughs> I think people will like you if they can laugh with you and then if they like you maybe they're more willing to listen to what you have to say perhaps I don't know but then there's a lot of people doing comedy at the moment there they there's a lot of message oriented comedy and people are like, just shut up and make us laugh. So, I don't know. Yeah.
4: I, think, I think when um, it's kind of your, like good satire almost tricks its audience and that they laugh first and then they work out subconsciously that they're actually laughing at authority or they're laughing at something that they um, previously supported and that makes them question it on their own terms rather than being told, you know, you're wrong, you need to think this way. They laugh. And then they question why they were laughing, and they feel like they've changed their mind rather than you have.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, congratulations to them. <laughs> I think
2: with um, what I sometimes do with writing is try to make it funny to p- make people think that it's uh, there's nothing else going on, and then when you bring in sincerity or a point, then it's more powerful because they're already engaged with what you're doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah,
4: and totally, and just having the reach, um, you know, when, when someone goes out saying this is a political show, you know, even a comedy show, this is a political show about X topic, you are going to... Um draw in the audience who are interested in that topic and almost preach to the converted um, whereas you know popular media can make social commentary um, my honours thesis which I never finished was about how professional wrestling is like the greatest piece of satire of our time um, and how, how much like Commedia de Latte, it was popular entertainment that was consumed by the masses but um, if you kind of go back and watch uh, you know uh, 80s wrestling you know they had characters like the Iron Sheik um, you know parodying everything that was kind of happening in the middle Least. Um, and uh, I, th- I think, yeah, satire and performance is a way of bringing those issues to people who don't want to engage with them.
1: That's a really good point and a good entryway into talking, though, about some of the difficulties that um, people who are trying to craft comedy, whether or not that's in articles or through stand up or through comedy shows like Access of Awesome or The Catering Show, the I'm going to use the word sensitivity, and I don't mean it in the way that it's normally used, which is you are too sensitive and you need to learn how to laugh at stuff that never pokes fun at me, but only pokes fun at you. Um, but there is, in order to satirise things, sometimes you need to go into areas that can be quite um, challenging for some people, uh, particularly when you know, we, live in, we live in a kind of society now where we sensitively offer content warnings and um, content notes on on particular topics that might be triggering to some people, or, or whatever, or what, what may be. But when you're using humour, you can't you can't really offer those content warnings all the time because that sometimes under, undermines the actual joke. Like for example, I was rewatching the I Quit Sugar video today. Has anyone seen that episode of the Catering Show? Brilliant. Um, <laughs> And there's a line which I laughed at uproariously, which was, it was something like, um, but quitting sugar isn't just for people who have mental illness. And I laughed at that as someone who has, who who does identify as someone who has, you know, my own share of mental unease and mental illness. I thought that was hilarious. But because of the experience that I have as well in uh, speaking to a very particular kind of Facebook audience often, there's it can be a little bit difficult to sometimes make those jokes without having to flag or red flag everything. So mm. do
3: you find that at all? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. There was one, I think in the first episode, McCartney made a joke about um, food intolerances. You know, we just thought food intolerances were just a way to... What, people, what was it? A way people jazz up their eating disorders. <laughs> and we had a lady on Twitter, you know, um, comment make a comment to us about you know it's it's not very fair to make jokes about people with eating disorders and mccartney had an eating disorder when she was a teenager and in her early 20s so she was very much speaking about her own personal experience when she was making that joke and i think and also with the quitting sugar um there's to us i think if our experience of quitting sugar would be (laughs) um we would be including our own mental health issues would, would be contributing to our decision to quit sugar. So I think there was, you know, I think if you've got... Um, I don't know, I think... You, if you can back it up with... I think you've got to figure out what you can stand by, you know, and push comes to shove. If someone questioned you on that and said, hang on, you know, pulled you up on a joke that you've written, you know, what's, who's your target in that joke... Um, and who, who you're referring to, I suppose. And, you know, for us, a lot of it is about our, ourselves. Like, we are directly speaking to our own experiences of those situations, so that's how we can sort of rationalise making those jokes. But then there's, you know, there's, in the second series as we've been writing that and there's been a couple of moments where um, we have made jokes that we can't back up and we have, we've made the decision that even though it's funny that like, you do have that natural laugh to begin with, you go, oh, but is it worth it? Is that worth the the punch that we're making? And we, we can't back it up. So then we've, you know, we've ended up cutting out those jokes, which, you know, just, I think we're growing. Like, I think we're becoming more aware of a responsibility that we have now mm-hmm. with our increased um, audience, I suppose. Yeah. I think,
4: yeah, the, with, the, with the nature of offence, it's, it's a journey of understanding other people that if you're going to put out something, there's, there's every possibility some might, someone might be offended by it intentionally or unintentionally. And, you know, the, the initial journey is who might this offend and how much do I respect them, basically, and how much do I care about them and whether they're offended. Um, and if you don't care about them enough, then put it out there. So, um, you know, there are, there are people who have particular opinions that I'm not fans of and I might hap- quite happily criticise them. Um, but it's it's an ongoing thing. We we had a song once, um, and this was when I still presented as male. Um, a song called uh, "Sexual Harassment," and it was a par- it was it was meant to be a parody of kind of uh, R and B songs, which had over, overly sexualized language, which kind of very, totally flew under the radar. And to write a song about sexual harassment in the workplace in that style, and um, you know, to try and lampoon the music. Um, and it was quite a popular song, a lot of people liked it, but um, on more than one occasion, someone came up after the gig and said that they found it triggering and that it hurt them and brought up memories um, that were painful for them. And after that happened a couple of times, um, we sat down and we said, well, look, as much as we're trying to make this point, it, it is hurting people. And so we dropped the song and we took the video down off YouTube and we decided it wasn't worth hurting those people to make whatever point we were trying to make.
1: And oftentimes that is a leap that's not, that's not made in comedy. You know, that every, everyone feels like, I mean, I'm not a comedian, but I sometimes try to use comedy in the writing that I, uh, in, in my writing. And it does hurt when you feel like a joke has been misinterpreted or it's been interpreted, in, you know, in your, in your head, the, the voice that you would never kind of articulate publicly. You're like, oh, they're being so sensitive. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you do actually take a step back and you, and you think about it, and you understand where someone's coming from, and you have empathy for that, that is that is the point of growth totally. in comedy, and that's the idea of kicking up instead of
4: yeah. kicking down. And it's a journey of understanding and forgiveness. It's it's about you know going, okay, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. That's not an excuse. Um, that's not an excuse to keep doing it. You know, a lot of people. I wasn't trying to be offensive. And then, and they're like, "Okay, cool. Well, you know, you know, you were now. So, how are you going to change?"
1: There was a great um, article that Casey Edwards wrote earlier this week. It it wasn't about comedy at all. It was about, it was about pointing out sexism when uh, the person who's being sexist doesn't realize that they're being sexist. But the defence of them is, "Oh, they didn't know, so they didn't mean it. So, don't pick on them." And she had this great line in it, which she said, "Just because someone didn't mean to cause harm doesn't mean what they did isn't is harmless." Um, And I think that's a really important thing to remember that just because you don't mean to hurt people doesn't mean that... And a lot of it is
2: um, how people respond to criticism and that's when a lot of things blow up online is because the person who has been told that something's been offensive is then like, fuck you, like, sorry if...
4: You wouldn't do that if you accidentally hit someone with a car, right? Yeah, like, like, fuck you.
2: Fuck you. Yeah.
4: (laughs) If you hit someone on on purpose or by accident, if someone's like, hey, you hit me with your car and you're like, fuck you, it was an accident.
2: I also take, like, I try to think of it as kind of because well, I'm writer predominantly and not a stand-up or anything like that, a performer. Um, but it's kind of like a good comedy exercise to think when I'm making jokes to kind of think of the audience and think of the impact that it could have, and then try to come up with something funny that won't do that, like without, you know, sanitizing
1: everything. But yeah. and, and it's funny as well that um, in that I. I... Doubt that there's anyone in this room that doesn't have that experience of being told by uh, someone who has someone who, on the scale of privilege, sits right at the top, being told that you have to suck it up and you have to stop being so sensitive about their jokes. That you need to just be more relaxed and chilled, you know, like like dudes. They just get it, you know. They just they just get humour. They don't get so, they don't get so upset about it. And then the moment that like I shared a, a meme on my Facebook page last week that. It was just an image, and it just said, in quotes, how is that racist dash white proverb? (laughs) And that is hilarious. Yeah, totally. And, my God, the outrage in the comments from people who would ordinarily be like, you have to laugh at my rape jokes, you have to laugh at my jokes about beating women, you have to laugh at my jokes about blackface. The the outrage about being suddenly made the point of the joke was palpable. Mm, mm.
4: I think there's, um, there's this kind of thing that's happened with me. Now, now that I, I, I'm openly identifying as trans, people now see I have an extra responsibility to be inoffensive, that um, because I am asking for tolerance and understanding, if I am offensive or intolerant or, or not understanding, then I'm a hypocrite. And it's kind of after.
1: It's not equality.
4: <laughs> you know, when Corey Bernardi's um, office got trashed after after the you know the, the safe schools thing, he was saying, "Oh, look at these people—they're hypocrites. They're talking about love and understanding, and they've trashed my office." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, but you can get away with being hateful in the first place because you're not asking for love and understanding."
1: But that's the thing. It's, it's, the, it's the idea that I never pretended to be anything other than what I am. Mm. I'm r- rude, crude yeah. and lewd and I, and I just deal with it. Good you know? rhyming. But you're then. pretending to be all these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. like you 're pretending to be all these things, therefore you're a hypocrite you're yeah. you 're the actual villain in this scenario yeah. because you you are not doing what you 're asking yeah other people
4: and i 'm not asking for tolerance and understanding because i 'm tolerated and understood because i 'm a white dude <laughs> yeah. yeah, so i 'm free to tell you to fuck off
2: <laughs> I get that constantly with the note of feminism account like because i don't interact with replies um in public on it, but nobody is more sensitive than like a straight white guy like it's who will then turn around and I'll go to their feed and it will be racist jokes and sexist jokes and then they can't take some parody account and it it really gives me so much pleasure to not reply because it drives them <laughs> up the wall. Like well, they yeah, can't well, handle why, it. Why are you it's ignoring so
1: them as well? That's an act of violence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. On purpose.
1: That's good.
3: <laughs> Do you get any of that kind of experience, Kate? Yeah, it's I was just thinking We've so we've just finished the second series of the catering show, and there's a um, one of our episodes is a wedding episode where McCartney and I pretty actively do not participate in the idea of preparing a meal for a wedding, and um, and towards the end of the episode, McCartney, um, who's by, is. Expresses her feelings about being excluded from the process of well, that she feels like half of her can get married and half of her can't, <laughs> and um, and she basically goes on. I don't want to spoil the end of the, of the episode because it's just it's. I think it's beautiful, um, but <laughs> she's she's she I guess has a crack, and um, the ABC were a little bit um, worried about how. Um, our, how we might offend. Um, <laughs> I think I think it was we're going to offend most straight people in the country. <laughs> and for a start, I was like, "That's very oh, flattering." Straight people.
4: Heaven <laughs> like, It's forfend. Very flattering
3: that you think that most straight people are going to watch it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's big numbers. Um, yeah, they, they don't like,
1: need to watch it though; they just need to read about it in offended. the Herald Sun
3: That's right. <laughs> But yeah, so, and we were like, yeah, exactly. We we're like, you've had it, you know. Those poor straight people who just, you know, really haven't had it good for such such a long time. So, <laughs> and we're like, you know what? We're willing to cop it. So, um, and I'm going like, to be as offended. As long as you're you willing don't... to back it up, you know, yeah. you're willing to back it up, and you know, you're probably going to cop some heat over this. And it's like, yeah, we'll we'll suck it up. It's fine. <laughs>
2: I only watch things that offend straight people now. So that's the one episode I'll watch because it's got a guarantee.
1: <laughs> um, that, that, uh, that fear of offending a majority of people who have the most privilege, though, is, is really funny. And one of my theories about the reason that... I'm going I'm to blanketly stereotype and talk about white straight men here. Um, not all men... <laughs> Which actually, I take that back because I never offer that disclaimer. Um, my theory about why white, a particular kind of white straight man gets very upset about a joke that is, is really mild in comparison to so many other things. But, you know, for example, the white proverb of how is that racist or a joke about firing men into the sun with a cannon. Um,
0: That's the new circus so that Clem and many, I are starting. Do
1: you know... Do you, just the background on that is that um, I got a man fired last year because I have so much power and, and they will never let me forget it um, and I made a joke someone, someone was like you won't stop until all men are fired <laughs> and, I was, and I was like I just repeated it back to them I said I won't stop until all men are fired dot 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 into the sun <laughs> And that tweet has been screen capped and sent to me so many times by men as evidence that I am trying to destroy them. (laughs) One young kid was like, "Was like you hate men," and I said, "Well, what's your proof? Where's your proof for that?" And he sent me that tweet, and I was like do you think it's possible that I might have been joking there? And, and it's probably more likely that I was joking than that I'm actually building a cannon you've in the o- desert.
4: You've also under- <laughs> under- underestimated the strength of cannons.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, there must be his, mu- more his, practical ways his, to do that. His reply to that was, but you said it. So because I said it, it it must actually be happening. And then I was like... Because, you know, I I get that sort of stuff all the time. And and it suddenly hit me. And it's so obvious. I can't believe it didn't hit me before. But the reason that they can't see the humour in that, they can't see the possibility of it being a joke, is not only because they don't think that women are funny or can be funny or have any interest in being funny, but that they've never had any experience en masse of being the target of any joke mm. Mm. so when it happens to them the more logical answer is obviously that someone actually is planning to do these things kind of yeah. like
2: <laughs> totally i can't stop thinking about shooting men into a cannon yeah into the sun
4: <laughs> well but it's also the other thing the only times they've ever been criticized is when they've done something evil or wrong yeah. and and it's like making the joke is making criticizing them and at, at, at that level and they think well I, I haven't done anything wrong why is someone making fun of me <laughs> um, because no one could possibly make fun of me for who I am you know
2: Yeah. yeah well they're I, the guys that have they've never, had, they've never gone to like a stand up show or open mic and been like just waiting for the homophobic joke or the sexist joke like there's going to be no joke like historically that's come at them. So it must be very unfamiliar for them, the poor
3: things. And it's like that... I think they're going through a real time of it right now, aren't they? They're going through a real time of it right now. It's really hard for them. It's a struggle to find out that your opinions aren't that relevant anymore, though. I think... (laughs)
1: It's, um, it's, a, it's a difficult time of oppression mm. for your average, privileged, straight, white, cisgender I man. Mean,
4: yeah, I mean, as someone who lived as a cis, um, white, hetero man for so long, um, you know, and knowing I was trans the whole time, but when I was actively identifying as trans and suddenly, um, you know, an offhand joke in Deadpool just kind of ruined the whole rest of the movie for me and stuff like that, I was like, oh, right, yeah, no, this is fucked, um, but I had no real um, awareness of it beforehand. Not, not a real awareness. Mm. I mean, I knew it existed, but I never felt it.
1: Well, that's an interesting way to um, segue into what we've talked about sure. prior to this. Mm-hmm. And I'll just preface this, that um, I have Jordan's permission to ask this question. In fact, you brought it up. Was the difference between when you were uh, performing in comedy and when you were entering comedy, when other people read you as a man... As opposed to now that you've affirmed that you're a woman, the the difference in in treatment and access, and um, even even in terms of of ebbing away of what you you see as being yeah. inclusion.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm very aware that um, you know my career up until you know January of this year was built with access to the privilege um, that I had presenting as as a guy. And, you know, and and people are all saying, oh, it's so amazing, there's a transgender comedian, transgender comedian, amazing. And I'm like, well, there's probably plenty, but they've never been given access to what I had access to. Um, So there are no transgender comedians because you've kept them down. Um, And so I'm aware and I acknowledge that I'm in this position um, with a profile as a trans woman because I'd lived as a guy for so long. Um, And I think the way... People are reacting to it now. It's still a, a process that's happening. Um, a lot of at the moment with our shows, we've only been touring for a, a couple of weeks. There is kind of this sense of relief in the audience that they there's this expectation that the show would be shit now that there's a woman in it or that there's a queer person in it. Um, and, you know, some people come up to the gigs well, very well, meaning you're like, oh, I thought the show would change really... and you would be a completely different sense of humour and I thought you'd just bang on about trans stuff all the time. I'm like, no, we're just... You know, we acknowledge them, we do our jokes. Like, what did you expect? But, yeah. Um, so that's kind of happening. Um, people are, people are been relieved that the show's not fucked. Um,
2: which is it is 100% about ironing now, isn't it, ben? Yeah. So
4: it has. It's just the hormone show. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: Jordan, how I'm I'm interested to know what it's like when you step out on stage and engage with an audience, because like, I know from doing stand-up, there's so which we might touch on later as well. So please stop me if I'm going into territory that we wanted to talk about later. But when you walk on stage as a woman, I feel like there is a um, there is a degree of what she's wearing. She shouldn't be wearing. I don't know if, yeah. she, could, if she is. She getting away with that? Um, and you know, and bef- you've been doing three minutes of stand up, nope. and they haven't even listened to anything you're saying. It's just sizing you up. And yeah, I've got. How do
4: you, I've got yeah, I'm, I'm in, in this re- that? particularly with clothes in this weird um, position where I, I want to dress as myself, but I also don't want to look like a guy. So I need to dress pretty femme to not look like a guy, but I don't want to dress so femme that people think that I'm in drag. So I'm trying to just hit this whatever point, <laughs> this imaginary line, but I'm also... And I'm also trying to be myself, right? Um, but I remember, like, the first time I did a gig as, as a woman, an Axis gig as a woman, was before the video had gone out. And we did a trial for this, this show in Sydney, and um, Benny and Lee spoke to the audience beforehand and, and let them know, and whilst I'm standing backstage in heels and a dress and a fuckload of makeup. Um, and just having that sense of, I don't know, at that point, inevitability is like, I'm going to have to walk out um, in this. And it was great. Everyone cheered and it was it was nice. And, you know, after six shows, I'm like, who the fuck does shows in heels? <laughs> <laughs> um, the novelty certainly wore off, so I'm wearing flats now. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the way that we, we... We thought about the start of this show a lot. You know, how... How can we address the transition in a way that's... um, In a a way that it's something that what we do... In the same way that we made the the video, we we wanted to make a funny video. It had to be funny, it had to be honest, but it had to be us. And it's the same as the start of the show. And, um, I mean, spoiler alert, if you're going to see the show, you can can cover your ears, but... um, Benny and Lee start the show and um, start singing about you know changes happened and you know we should address it so that we can have a sense of humor about it and that everyone can be comfortable. And then I walk out and everyone cheers and then they say, and then the change is that Lee's now bald. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
4: but he's always been bald on the inside. Um, and then we and you know he's
3: he, uh, he's very bald.
4: He's bald yeah. now, but mm. you know, he's always been a bald man trapped mm. inside a man with hair. Um <laughs> And then we go through all the really shitty questions trans people get asked from voiceovers asking them of Lee. And it's like, hey, Lee, now that you're bald, which bathroom do you use? And Lee, now that you're bald, which, which um, you know, do you like guys now? And Lee, now that you're bald, are you going to cut your dick off. And um, <laughs> we couldn't... As his response is that it's none of their fucking business. LAUGHTER um, but I don't, like, if we hadn't made that about Lee being bald, if we'd actually, you know, made it about trans, we could never have gone into those questions yeah. and that part of the trans experience. Um, we had to make the song about the experience of a cis white heterosexual man in getting, getting treated like a trans person. So I just realised that then. That's really fucked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but also because that's a funny way to approach it of course, as well. So, of course, of course, of yeah. course. Yeah, It's fun. It's funny. It's
4: funny.
1: <laughs> if you're worried. Yeah. Um, before doing this panel, and I sent this article to all of the panelists as well, there's an article in Variety that was written a couple of years ago about um, the practice of women in comedy utilising what they call the underbrag. And this article asserts that Phyllis Diller was the first comedian to ever do it. And the story behind it was that Phyllis Diller, one of her... Or part of her shtick was that she always talked about how ridiculously unfeminine she was, and how she was, she was this sort of like caricature almost of womanhood. She couldn't cook. Her children hated her food. She was, um, she was ugly. She's got a joke about how, the you know she had a peeping tom and he threw up on the windowsill because, because he was watching her undress. But then, but then, um, so that the entry point of this piece is that Playboy has asked Phyllis Diller had asked Phyllis Diller to pose as their centrefold because wouldn't it be hilarious to have this gross, ugly woman be our centrefold and she's a comedian? Except that Phyllis Diller took her clothes off and actually had a bangin' hot bod, um, according to Playboy standards. And also turns out that in her real life, Phyllis Diller was an excellent entertainer, great chef. All of these things that she made fun of being because she parodied what women were supposed to be and then that kind of precipitated the practice of female comedians and I, I'm, I'm saying that deliberately yes all comedians are comedians but of women who are comedians under bragging about themselves to get the audience on side or to sort of have a nudge, nudge wink wink like I know that I'm asking you to stand here and listen to what I'm saying but don't worry I know that I'm a piece of shit really Um, And something I said to Beck beforehand was that one of the things that I love about Beck's work is that she writes so beautifully about serious political issues. You know, you've written some extraordinary pieces about growing up gay in Toowoomba and coming out and some really, really heartfelt pieces about fat activism and fat politics as well. But one of the comedic traits that you use is to... Almost the opposite of the under brag is to assert yourself as the hottest, most beautiful, most accomplished woman in any room that you 're in.
2: Yeah, the same thing happened with Zoo magazine. they <laughs> <laughs> said it wasn 't playing with was Zo they were like, oh we couldn 't possibly it's too good
1: um, yeah but it's it 's like, it's like there's this this space where women, if they 're asking if they're standing in front of a group of people and they're asking people not only to listen to them but also to laugh at them and to appreciate them as fully formed human beings, they have to, they have to undersell them in, themselves in some way. So the joke with you know, Tina Fey pretending with Liz Lemon that she's this you know, terribly inefficient, disorganised dog's breakfast of a woman... Um, when actually, no, it's Tina Fey, look at her, look at her in photo shoots, she's none of those things, is sort of similar to what you do in in messing with people's perceptions around those things.
2: Yeah, and she... It's different because people like her and other female comedians... Are, like, I think they're kind of trapped in that, you know, like you said, you kind of have to make people pay attention to you and if you... Um, what I try to do is uh, draw people's attention to the fact that I do get treated differently because I'm fat, and um, but it's uncomfortable for people to think about that and talk about that when I'm writing about something that's not specifically about that. But I just always want to make people uh, uncomfortable and um, to think about it and also draw attention to it, but in a way that is is still engaging and will still mean that they will continue to read it instead of, like, clicking away because they uh, feel uncomfortable. But, yeah, it's very interesting.
3: It's a a journey that I still think that I'm on. Like, when I started doing stand-up, I would wear whatever I wanted on stage without much thought. Like, I'm like, I'm going out to do a gig so I'll look nice. And then after a while, I'm like, oh no, I've got to wear jeans, um, and I've got to wear something that maybe isn't um, just just something that's quite nondescript. And then I d- did a bit of stand up about this, but a woman in Queensland on roadshow said to me one day that um, she she came up to me after the show, and it was like you know like a 500 seat theatre in Cairns, and she said. Um, that she, I know it was on the Gold Coast and she said to me um, darling I couldn't see you standing up on the stage and this is like I'm like one of you know six performers the other five being men who were all wearing jeans and a t-shirt and I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and she's like I couldn't see you on the stage <laughs> have you thought about wearing some sparkles on stage Well, can you wear a flushing thing like cyclists just yeah. to make sure that they know you're there <laughs> And so I, I went and bought this sparkly top and then I um, would wear that on stage. So the so roadshow wasn't going terribly well for me up until that point. And then I bought this top and <laughs> I'd get up on stage and I'd tell that story. And I said, so I went, and bought, you know, I went out to Supra and I bought this top. And it was sort of like sparkles that kind of like descended and then kind of, you know, disappeared down the bottom. And I, I said, it looks like I've gone out, drunk a million beers, ate a mirror and then vomited on my tits. <laughs> and like every single time I wear that top and do that joke, I just, I'd have the audience. And I was like, 90% of the time I'd have a great gig and it became this... Um, this security blanket, this, this, and I could tell that they're like, you know, like arsehole comedian dudes who run rooms around to be like, oh, here she is with her sparkly top again. Oh. It's like, but if you had this joke, this opening joke that you knew works every single time, um, and it gets you into this space with the audience where they like you and they're on board with you, and then you can take them anywhere, it's like, Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take that and use that, and you know, have that in your kit and use that every time you get up on stage? And and now I I feel like I've moved beyond that, but I still it's still so hard to diffuse that. It it feels like the audience
4: audience. they need an aspect of grotesque in order to um, accept that you're funny, like because they could laugh at you. They could laugh at the, the grotesquery of the character. And once they're doing that, then they can laugh at anything because I'm actually laughing because she looks stupid or that she's, um, you know, unkempt or whatever, that there's a, there's a grotesque character
3: Yeah, aspect. and I feel like this is like put in very brutal terms, but I feel like, you know, the majority of audience members that you play to are heterosexual men and women. Mm. And Oops. that if... I could get up in front of an audience and have the men not think about whether or not they wanted to fuck me or not, and the women think to stop them thinking about whether or not their boyfriend wants to fuck me or not. <laughs> then we could move on. Yeah. Like, and that's that sounds like a, it's a very brutal way of putting it. But so you had to get that shit out of the way in order to then go in and do your jokes and yeah. be funny. And it, that's it's terrible. That's a terrible way to you know to have your first interaction like i uh, i wish that that didn't have to happen and maybe i don't know as i um become more sharp in who i am as a person then maybe I'm, you know are you wearing it under them. that top now what was that <laughs> are you sorry? wearing your silver top under that top yeah, Do you I wear at all
2: the time? It's,
1: yeah I wear it's wear it it's the closing act oh okay sorry <laughs> spoilers um, but it's, it's, it's sort of this assumption as well of the roles that uh, women have to play so I think that you're spot on as brutal yeah. as it is it's spot on to say that I think it yeah you know you, when you were talking about stand up before and you said the moment that you walk out on stage and, and the audience makes a judgement call about you and it is whether or not you're fuckable and the the kind of brutal baseline of that is, do I or do I not want to fuck her? If I want her, want to fuck her, then she intimidates me in some way, so therefore she needs to talk herself down so that I feel like I still have the upper hand. If I do not want to fuck her, then I'm just not interested at all. So she really has to make me laugh. Um, I remember a story a few years ago. I, was, uh, I went to see Judith Lucy at the Adelaide Fringe probably about ten years ago, and she was talking about how... She had she had been on uh, doing an FM breakfast show with Kaz Cook and Peter Hellier, and it was quite revolutionary at the time because up to that point you would never have had an FM breakfast show with two women. Two women. Two women and one man. Ooh. is that the only time that's ever happened in any situation? Miss Sandry. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> that was the of th- name of the show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Miss in the, the mornings. Sandry FM. Um, so they they just trialed the show for a while and. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it wasn't hugely successful because it, I, I think that it is actually it, certainly at the time was very challenging to people to have to listen to two women and, and one man. Well, I and mean, that's...
4: with two people with high voices, you don't know which one's which.
1: Well, funnily enough, think... funnily enough, they were called into the manager's office and they were told that the the program was changing; that they were going to let Kaz Cook go, and um, and they were going to have Judith stay and. The reason that they offered for that was that no one could tell the difference between Judith Lucy and Kaz Cook. Has anyone heard Judith Lucy speak? (laughs) I used to be a media monitor, which meant that I had to listen to a lot of really boring radio and write down what they were talking about. And, you know, you've got shows with two, three men on at a time, completely indistinguishable from each other. But for some reason, that's never a problem. But Judith Lucy, who has the most distinguishable voice in the country, cannot be told apart from Kaz Cook.
3: Well, also that two women, um, that not even that you couldn't tell them apart by the tone of their voice, but also of what was coming out of their mouth. Like, it's like that was just set to one channel of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's the you thing. Know? You
1: can't actually hear the words when women are speaking on radio. It's just... <laughs> or a very high-pitched squeal. Um, but I think that, that that sort of... People make their minds up before they listen to something so they've decided beforehand whether or not they're going to like it or not so it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that the stereotype of women only joking about periods and babies is actually not true it doesn't have to be true for people to believe that it doesn't also matter that quite often cis white straight men will joke about their dicks and joke about girls that they fucked who were gross but like that, they're, they're always allowed a, a flexibility of comedy and a flexibility of. of personality that is denied to women women have to fit into this very specific also box.
2: they're allowed to be shit and no one is like oh men aren't funny yeah. like there could be a 400 shit men and one good one and everyone's like oh men are hilarious yeah. and like one bad female comic and everyone's like oh, women yeah. <laughs> i mean it, it's
4: almost it's almost like yeah men have to enter only have to entertain other men and women have to entertain men
1: well, yeah, men men can just entertain everyone because it's assumed that everyone is a, a masculine. Yeah, narrative. or
4: at least patient enough to not say anything.
2: Women are a genre. That's what, in all entertainment, that's what it is. Is that anything that's not that's made by men is for everyone, but women women's stuff is just for women.
1: Um, I remember reading uh, when after the Heat came out. Has anyone seen the Heat with yes. Sandra Bullock and? Lisa McCarthy. I think that movie's hilarious. Top movie. It is funny. Great movie. But it's just... I remember reading reviews of it that... Oh, I, just don't, I just don't think that buddy films with women work. They're just not funny. But you could, you could literally just replace those two characters with men and it would be hilarious. Yeah, if people.
4: this was Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, oh, my God, this movie was great. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, Kate, I want to talk to you about the, the effort that goes into producing the catering show and and how you maintain or what choices you make comedically of what I mean you talked a little bit about what you left in and what you left out Mm. before in terms of um sensitivity but how do you shape something down to a video that's you know six or eight minutes long
3: yeah well the writing process is very involved so you know we start out by working out you know with this series we worked out you know eight different episodes worth of ideas and then you know we the hardest part for us with the episodes like you know we can say oh we're going to do an episode about paleo or we're going to do an episode about pop-up restaurants or something like we can choose you know a theme but what the hardest point is figuring out what our position is within that so what is it that we want to say what is working between the two of us. Like, how are we um, positioned in that episode? Are we um, on the same team? Are we taking opposing views? And that changes from episode to episode. We, We really, when we first started making it, we didn't initially... And it took us, with the first series, it took us a while to hit on that dynamic that we have together where initially your natural kind of instinct is to start writing where you, you're opposed to each other, so having, you know, you're two women, so you're supposed to be not getting along. And they were like... Women yeah, suck. Yeah, yeah. But then it was around about the same time that, like, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were doing their... is um, it the Golden Globes or the Emmys? I can't remember. Whichever ones they were hosting. And we were like, oh, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're both on the same team and they're still funny. You don't have to have this straight man, you know, funny man kind of thing, dynamic going on. You can both be funny and you can both be on the same team batting at the same target. And um, and so we explored that and, and we play with that and it, it is malleable depending on what the theme of the episode is. But um, there's, a, there's a responsibility, I guess, that we feel now with the second series, like we really wanted to um, produce something that we felt was a step up from the first series and there is more of a um I guess an awareness with the second series and also we've both um we've both had children since I feel I felt myself getting really emotional there that's really weird um yeah so McCartney was pregnant during the first series which we didn't talk about and then in the second series so she had her baby was um I think like nine months old and my baby was three months old and like just even from going from writing with that with me being pregnant while we were writing to then us having had the babies by the time we were doing the second drafts like our position changed slightly on things like we were really adamant that we didn't want to make the whole series about us being mothers now that we were mothers we're like you know we don't want to be defined as mothers so the first episode we were conscious that we we wanted to kind of just continue the story from the first series but the second episode is called Yummy Mummies and we do you know it is all about us being mums and and then throughout the rest of the episodes like we casually you know we kind of mentioned the kids um, at times but it's not about us being mums so but at the same time I feel like we before we were mothers and even in my stand-up it was like there was a lot of stand-up that I did about um not having kids and being um like the pressure that people would put on me to have kids and then I think once I had a kid I put this pressure on myself to not be defined by that whereas now I'm like fuck I'm I'm a am ma- a mother I'm that's who I am. Like, yes, I am defined, that is part of who I am now and I can't be ashamed of that. I feel like you get this shame that you should feel. I feel
1: like there's a lot of pressure on women in most, certainly um, overt creative industries where they are talking about they're offering an opinion on something, whether or not it's it's comedy or whether or not it's politics, where they have to make all of those negotiations where they're like, I don't want to be defined by this, I don't want to be defined by that. I want to be separated from that. Thought Thoughts that, you know, men probably don't have to deal with because a male comic especially is allowed to joke about his kids without people saying, oh, oh he's just talking about his kids again. Oh, he's so boring. Um, whereas when women talk about the things that actually do define their lives. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that motherhood doesn't have to fully define you, but it, it's a huge thing that, mm. that someone's going to go through that, that changes their life in a really substantial way. And the, the changes that fathers are allowed to own are, are ones that women feel obliged to not talk about too publicly because it somehow limits them rather than expands their experience. Mm.
3: Yeah, and I feel like if I don't um, represent the fact that, you know, I'm a mother now or a parent, that that's disrespectful to my kid as well. Like, I don't want to put her in a corner and sort of say, you don't exist for, you know, this period of time that I spend working. Um, you know, and so naturally it does it does come out in our work now Um, and I hope, like, we were really worried and we say this in in the Yummy Mummy episode, you know, it's like we're mums now which means we've probably lost our substantial male fan base on Reddit. (laughs) And then McCartney's sort of like, oh, no, guys, oh, come back, come back, we miss you. (laughs) And, you know, like, I think we were really worried that, oh, if we talk about this stuff a whole bunch of people are going to tune out. So we've yeah. got to really... We've really got to... Um, yeah, we've really got to look after those fans of ours who um, are going to be disappointed that we've had kids. And like, and I think there's also this idea that, oh, well, we're mums now, so we've got our shit together. And there was an interview that today that said, oh, you know, I guess there's part of, you know, you satirising... Um, the world around you, you know, in the show, you know, you, you, you both, you don't have any money, you're always talking about how broke you are and, you know, the reality of that, I'm sure, is very different and we're like, <laughs> yeah. nah, mate, nah. We're like YouTube um, YouTube successful, it's a very different thing. I love meeting so.
4: fans who are like, oh, my God, access is awesome, must fly first class everywhere. <laughs> like,
3: <laughs> no. I don't fly anywhere. <laughs>
1: Do you fly first class everywhere, back?
2: Uh Yes, it's in my rider. Um, <laughs> but I feel the same as Kate because I have a cat that I... <laughs> like, it's really difficult, you know. I don't want people to just see me as a cat mother. <laughs>
4: Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. When, I, when I released the, the coming out video, there were a number of comments um, that were like, cool, 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 yeah, I don't care, just make comedy videos. And this channel better not become some kind of trans channel. <laughs> and so then the following week, we released a video, a comedy video with Ice Cube um, that we, we filmed. And then the week after that, we released a song about copyright infringement. And then the following week of that was my one-year anniversary of being on Hormones. And so I released a cover of uh, a song by a transgender punk singer. And, of course, the comments are like, see, I predicted it. This channel is just about trans stuff. I'm out of here.
1: Except they're not out of there. No, no. Because they've got to stick around to make sure that they keep policing the place. (laughs)
4: Like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, go, go. I don't care.
1: Do you think that um, before I came here tonight, my partner showed me... um, I don't really watch South Park, although I am a fan of some of... Um, Trey, Par- Trey Parker and Matt Stone, I've got that the right way around, yep. haven't I? Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the Book of Mormon. Um, but I find South Parker's a little bit. It annoys me sometimes. So he was showing me this new character, the PC Principal. And his argument was that he thought it was really clever because he thought it was laughing at incredibly um, ignorant, bigoted people. And I was like, M- but I'm not sure if they know that they're being laughed at. Yeah. So does that. Does, does the comedy change then if they feel like... If they feel like this character is actually not laughing at them but, but it is actually reinforcing their belief that the world is too PC?
4: Totally. I, and, and that's a big problem um, with the work of, of, of Parker and Stone. I remember seeing... Um, you know, remember Team America, World Police, um, and seeing a YouTube video of someone who had cut together scenes of tanks destroying, you know people's homes and, and things in, in the Middle East um, and cutting all that footage to um, the song America Fuck Yeah um, and and soldiers talking about how they listened to that song while they were killing people um, and it was like, you under, you don't understand that that song is criticising everything you're doing and I kind of feel that that responsibility however is with the creators to then go, okay, our our work's not hitting the mark and we're trying to be satirical, we're trying to reach the minds of people who feel a particular way and change them and if we're not doing them, then who are we making this work for? And um, if, if, if satire and change is what we're after.
2: But also there's, because with the no to feminism account, most of the people who think it's real are feminists who are like, ooh. Um, but some of them are anti-feminists who follow it and I'm like, how do you think this is real? Like, it'll be a tweet about my husband's 40 squirrels in a bag, or something, and they will. That's genius. Um, I was going to write that down hold on them. Uh, um, and they will think it's real and like it's somehow affirming their. And there's just some people that are just never going to be reached on either side. They're just. You've got to give up.
1: And, and you also deliberately misspell the word feminism every day. It'll be. I will spell it. It's spelled correctly everywhere,
2: but in the tweet, and it'll be like F I M S N, and people will be like, "I think you mean fem." Like it's always men who are like feminism with an asterisk, like. And I'm it. I love it so much. I'm just
1: gonna read. I'm just gonna read, just gonna so read right. a couple of a couple of tweets from the woman against feminism uh, woman dear. against feminism. I always thought it was women, but it's woman against feminism. And I, I really like the jaunty picture you have as well, like the, the white woman. Like I, mm. I just I googled um, woman
2: and that came up. <laughs> um, so we've got, I Google women a lot. I don't need... It's different. I don't need...
1: I don't need femims. Women can't be leaders. What if they get periods? They might start a war over a bad reason, a thing men have never done. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I don't need fenimum. Who is April and why is she fooling everyone? Typical feminist. <laughs> On April Fool's Day. Uh, and finally... Topical. I don't need... Fes- I miss the good old days when, when men were men and women were women and there were no vaccines and if you got a disease, you died.
2: <laughs> it's really easy to come up with ideas because I go to the Women Against Feminism Facebook page, which is a real fun place, <laughs> and I just take what they say and flip it. Like, these are all... Well, most of them, except for the really out there ones, but a lot of them just arguments they make, and I just am, I'm like, thank you.
1: Well, see, that's the, that's a perfect example of using satire in a really powerful way. Is that I think there are a lot of people who are very confused about whether or not that account is real, and sometimes I, it, it amuses me when you fool feminists as well. But sometimes I'm also like, oh, guys, come on, she's spelling the word. A bit disappointing.
2: Because some of the ones are just, I'm, I can't understand how you would read it and I think it's a real, like it's literally like my husband is a mop and they're, they're like, or it'll be like I don't need feminism, I love how strong and powerful my husband is and his beautiful mane oh, I married a horse.
1: And I'll be like, oh,
2: why a, don't you believe in equal rights? Here's a
1: good example of like, that. It's like for horses, what are you
2: talking about?
1: I don't need, I don't need feminism because not all men are, some men are ten hams stacked on top of each other encased in a flesh suit someone would be like don't you
2: believe women should be paid as much as i'm like i'm talking about hams
1: but you know the 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 anti-feminist people responding to that don't need any logical reason to tell you that there's no such thing as a wage gap no (laughs) the well actually is strong in that account replies um we are a little bit over time I've just noticed. That's a good point to end on. Thank I got a show to get to. <laughs> thank you for the Samsung charger for allowing me to track that. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for coming this evening. It has been a really funny, vibrant, informative conversation. Um, please thank. Uh, join me in thanking Kate McLennan, Jordan Raskopoulos, Rebecca Shaw please. One big final round of applause for the YWCA. The YWCA is an incredible organisation. Um, if you're not a member, they are doing the membership drive this April. You can win lots of prizes. Um, thank you all so much. One big final round of applause for
0: the evening. We're as we on
1: Unfortunately, that's all we have time for on this episode of the Miss Hour, but thanks so much for listening. For more information on how you can become a member of YWCA Victoria, you can visit ywca.net and we'll also be putting links up on our um, Twitter account where you can find out more information about the speakers, Rebecca Shaw, Jordan Raskopoulos and Kate McLennan. Our Twitter account is at Hour, and you can email us as well on themisandryhour at gmail.com. A very big special thanks to our Patreon supporters who are the people who make this show possible and make it possible for me to pay the women who appear on the show and also to pay my producer Emma Hart. If you want to support the show, you can find out our Patreon details via our Twitter account, which is, again, at The Missandry Hour. And you can find this and other episodes of The Missandry Hour at www.soundcloud.com forward slash The Missandry Hour. And please email us and tell us what you think of the show. Again, you can tweet us at The Missandry Hour or email us at Hour at gmail.com tune in next time
0: tears, we're bathing in their fears as we battle online trolls we challenge gender roles welcome to the misandry ah together we will rise and we won't apologize we are the next big thing in boner killing welcome to the misandry welcome to the misandry welcome to the misandry ah